Welcome to the Watch Your Mouth Podcast, the podcast about phrase etymology and why we say the things we say. I'm Milo. And I'm Dave. He's my dad. And she is my daughter. That's how that works. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. To the podcast. Today, we shall be talking about some very mysterious words. Oh, no. Bom, bom, bom. I don't think my father even knows what I'm doing today, so this is... I'm not entirely sure. We've talked about a few different things, but I don't know... Well, I guess I'm going to find out, just like the rest of the listeners. You sure are. Mm. You were on a journey of discovery. (laughs) Always, every episode. Yes. (laughs) So, So, Milo, what are we talking about today? This came to mind for me because I was listening to a podcast and one of the hosts of the podcast used an idiom that I use quite often-ish. And (laughs) one of the other hosts of the podcast, who was like, you know, in her 30s, had never heard of it. And I was blown away. So I was curious if you had a strong familiarity with it because I think it's pretty common and it maybe was just one of those things that uh, was a blind spot for this person. But I was thinking about it as I heard that and was like, yeah, that is maybe one of the least transparent idioms I've heard. I have no idea what that means. Fertile ground for an episode. The phrase was, are you ready for this? I think so. Hoisted by his own petard. Sure. Yeah. I've heard that before. Absolutely. Right. I think it's a pretty common one, right? You hear that around. Yeah. In fact, I really like the TV show with, uh, you know, Captain Petard. Oh boy! Star Trek, you know. Oh boy, Qatar, we're gonna no, we're gonna bring no. that back later, just as an FYI. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> so, Excellent. for do you think that this is a a pretty opaque idiom? Is did it jump out at you? Like, do you think you can suss out where it's from? Do you know where it's from already? Well, no, I don't know where it fr- I, I don't know where it's from already. First, so number one, I don't know what a petard is. That but was, it sounds. Yep. It sounds naval. It sounds marine to me. It sounds like something about a boat. Okay, that's what it's. That's what I. I've always kind of assumed that, but it's something I've heard and I thought, oh, I think it means this, but I never, I never followed up on it. Yes, I have a feeling that you may be more thinking of the word hoist. Because yes, I am. when we use mm-hmm. the word hoist, we're usually thinking about like hoist the sails. Yeah, mm-hmm. but could you do that like a pirate, please? Hoist the sails, maybe. That's not bad. Yeah. You know, I really should be better at that since I just watched through Our Flag Means Death. But you know, well, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I'll get there. I'll work on my on my accents. No, so it is not a naval uh, thing. I did actually see a fair amount of that online of people thinking that it like it was a kind of rope or something because it kind of the hoist has that connotation but Mm -hmm. it's actually you want to give it one more guess what a petard is this mysterious word that we use but don't know what it means is does it have to do with clothing no good guess though it's like a wedgie i guess i don't know like a hemline or something (laughs) with a dress i thought of hoisting and raising something straps maybe yeah i don't know 
No. Ready for this? I'm ready. I, well, hold on. Okay, now I'm ready. Okay. Yep, I'm ready to drop the bomb. Because it's a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> a fatard is a bomb. What? Yeah, right? <laughs> I didn't. Okay, I didn't I know that. No I had no idea. Um, it's A petard was this very specific kind of bomb, a fairly small one. Basically what it was, it was a bucket <laughs> full of gunpowder. <laughs> and they would, like, attach a wooden plank over the mouth of the bucket and then just, like, hammer the board onto a... F- onto a wall or a fence and then just like light it on fire and run away <laughs> they'd light the board on fire <laughs> yes okay they'd, well seems... they'd, they'd have a fuse attached to the board um feeding oh. into the bucket and then the gunpowder oh, would I go bluey you. and there would be a nice big hole in the wall and or fence <laughs> so it was a military uh device but not a naval one do i get points though for military you because didn't naval say is military. It's not inherently military. I'm not. Well, you get half a point. Okay, I'll take that half a point. <laughs> this is one of the rare episodes without a game, so I hold on oh, tight no. to that point because, or half a point because it's the only one you're gonna get. <laughs> well, it's better than not having any. That is true. I'll have a bit of a. I guess there's a, a bit of a quiz later, so I will award points as needed. Um, oh, good, good, or good, gold good. stars if that's helpful to you. So. It is. This phrase is well documented in its origin, not only because we have extensive documentation of how they made this device, but because it was used by a very famous person first. Somebody came up with this phrase, and we know who. Can you guess? Uh, Abraham Lincoln. No, but that would be, you know, quite a bit earlier than that, actually. But uh, Constantine. That? Nope. <laughs> That seems maybe a little more accurate, but not not correct. One more rule of three. You can get it Alexander. if you really think about it. Can I? Yes, I promise you. Uh, Attila the Hun. <laughs> no, Shakespeare. Oh, I, yeah. I, the guy I was thinking, who came up with a lot of idioms. For sure, for sure. I just was thinking, yeah, I was thinking of like somebody who would have used it in a military way. Ah, no, that's fair. I could see where your uh, thinking would go along there. But yes, the petard predates the Civil War and Abe Lincoln. Uh, It was actually first written out in Hamlet by Shakespeare in Act 3, Scene 4. Should I do do a little Shakespeare reading? Oh, yeah. Could you put some some oomph in it, though? You know, don't just don't don't some oomph. Don't go go lazy on me. Bring it. Okay, I'm not gonna do an accent, but we'll we'll do some. No, it's fine. Because I can't, you know, if you actually listen to like the the accent that Shakespearean English would have used, it is way different than modern British. So even if I, I tried British, it would be wrong. Really? Oh, it's it's wild. I'll I'll drop in a little clip here of what it sounded like because there's some recordings that are pretty uh, reputable, not from the time, obviously, but of uh, <laughs> from. <laughs> there's some recordings of the time of Shakespeare. We think they're reputable. No, I think they're okay. No. No, from some linguists uh, who performed in the accent that would have been in the day. It's a pretty cool clip. We watched it in English class back in the day. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our sin. From ancient grudge, Brett, and new mutiny, where civil blood lay civil lands unclean. From forth the fatal lines of theirs two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take the life. Whose misadventured, piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. 
It's cool, isn't it? Okay. And now you will get my uh, rendition of Let's Hamlet. Let's do it. Bring it. You're on the heels now of that recording. So. Oh, I know. I really, you know, set myself up yeah. for failure That's here. Okay. We, we extend <laughs> grace to you. Thank you. You're welcome. There's letters sealed, and my two schoolfellows, whom I will trust as I will adders fanged. They bear the mandate, they must sweep my way, and marshal me to knavery. Let it work, for tis the sport to have the engineer hoist with his own petard, and shall go hard, but I will delve one yard below their minds, and blow them at the moon. Oh, tis most sweet when one line two crafts directly meet. Wow. So, David Tizma shakespearean scholar can mm -hmm. you tell our dear listeners what that meant no okay that's fair go read hamlet everybody it's great <laughs> nope i don't uh if you're coming for shakespearean um translation or to suss that out it's you're going to the wrong guy <laughs> and the wrong to podcast me. funny yes. you should mention greek because want to know where the term petard came from Italian. French. Oh. <laughs> that that oh. was a little language humor there. Okay. Yeah, so this is my favorite part. We're getting it out of the way early because I kind of lied to you earlier. Again? Because I know. I'm so, I, it's, you got to stop, Milo. I know. Okay. Petard, yes, is a bomb. But knowing Shakespeare and his way with wordplay, that's probably not what he was referencing. Uh, so it is spelled in his original manuscripts as the bomb, as petard. But, mm -hmm. fun fact, the word petard comes from the French word pete, I believe is how that's pronounced, ask Carol, which means yeah. to fart. Oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't know I was doing this episode with Molly. I thought I was doing, I was doing it with my, my daughter Milo. <laughs> For the listeners, that is my sister who is obsessed with toot jokes. It is, uh, yes. No, but like Shakespeare, much like my sister Molly, loved a good toot joke. And yeah, don't we all at heart? So I, in my heart of hearts, truly believe that he was making a toot joke here. Hoist by his own petard was referencing being hoisted by such a voluminous, powerful fart that it lifts wow. you from your chair. That's, Have you, you know, ever what had I one of those? <laughs> Have you ever been lifted off your chair by your you own know, I don't really want to get into my gastrointestinal history <laughs> on this podcast because oh, it is on. more complex than most. And yeah, that's true. We're just we're not going to go there. But I was delighted to <laughs> learn that. I did not expect that going into researching this phrase. I will now use that phrase with even more gusto and gusts, oh, if you pardon will. Pardon the pun. <laughs> uh, because it lived by your own fart. It's great. I love it. But yes, so the French actually named firecrackers after that word. Um, so it is. it was not a super big leap for, in English, us to name a bomb after it. So that was a pretty quick one, right? The yeah. end. The no, end. I'm kidding. Thanks for coming, of everyone. Course, We're 15 course, that minutes was about in. Yeah, 10 minutes of content. There's more, because, yeah. yes, that is a pretty... Hoisted by your own petard, we know exactly where it's from. We know the exact chapter act of the play that it's from. And we know what all the words mean and where they originate from. 
great. Open and shut case. But. All right. Have a good night, everybody. But See wait, ya. there's more. There's more? <gasps> because. Well, tell me. Tell me, Milo. I was looking into Hoisted by Your Own Petard, mm-hmm. I had the thought. Good. This very tricky word, petard, reminds me. It is. Of another very tricky word that I think a lot of people have some trouble with. Is and it vitriolic? Since we are all here. What's that? Is it vitriolic? Is that the word it reminds you of? No, but that is a great word. It's fun to say, vitriolic. I really like it. Yeah, vitriolic. Mm-hmm. vitriolic. I like it. Vitriolic. Okay, I was wrong. Do it in like a New Zealand accent for me. Oh, gosh. I don't think so. <laughs> I can do other accents, but that's a hard one. I have to think of the guy from Thor Ragnarok, the stone guy, Korg. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We're going to need a new Steve. <laughs> that was, sure. That was something. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> something. No. Hey, you know, this... spur the moment. I'm sorry. We digress, as always. As we always do, we uh, float out into the ocean to New Zealand. And the flotsam and jetsam. Oh, also good words. We're full of them Thank today. Mm-hmm. I'm full of something. No petards, though. <laughs> are you full of petards? I hope not. If you at no. home are full of petards, you may want to consult a physician. That'd be something you can now all say to your family members, though, is kind of do a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge about your flatulence in ways that they will not get. That's what the podcast be... is for, right? Alienating you from your family? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what we uh, started it for. <laughs> On a father-daughter podcast? Yeah, father-daughter podcast alienating you from your family. You're welcome. Perfect. Mm. No, but so all this talking of hoisting by petards had me thinking about a very particular concept that we talk a lot about in literature. And it comes with this word that people have a really hard time with and have very strong opinions about. And that word is irony. This is an ironic phrase. Hoisted by his own petard is very ironic. Mm -hmm. But what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) What does ironic mean? Does anybody really know? You know who does not know is is it Alanis Morissette who oh, has we'll talk the song about, about her? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't know what irony. At least not for that song. <laughs> That's not irony. Well, funny. We'll we'll jump ahead to that. Um, Alanis Morissette very famously in 1995 came out with a song same year as Born uh, called oh. Ironic, mm-hmm. in which in which she lists out a whole lot of different sentences all of like very unfortunate circumstances none of which are ironic isn't it ironic that was my that was me isn't it ironic that's my impression people thought Alanis was here (laughs) no guys no we did not get her we can't afford that (laughs) we don't have those connections yet so here's a quote from Alanis Morissette herself about the song ironic She says, for me, the sweetest moment came in New York when a woman came up to me in a record store and said, so all those things in ironic aren't ironic. And then she said, and that's the irony. And I said, Uh yep. (laughs) (laughs) Nice job, Alanis. We should not have been doubting her. Yeah. So according to Alanis Morissette, that was intentional. She made a song about irony that was not ironic in a play to be ironic i don't know if i buy that i think it's fine if she just wrote a song and didn't totally grasp the concept of irony because most people don't and that's totally fine despite being a very languagey person who is very very pedantic about a lot of things i am not a pedantic person about irony because to be honest it is a really squishy concept 
And, like, even the people who claim to know exactly in and out what it means, there's always still wiggle room. Uh, so, you, my father, here's the little quiz. Hmm. Do you know what irony is? Can you put it to a concise definition that excludes things that are not irony? Boy, that's a, that's a, that's a big ask. It I know, is, it's hard. It kind of something is kind of... <sighs> It's kind of it's a surprise, and it's kind of going against something that's being referenced, mm-hmm. and so it it has to be of the same vein. It can't be just a totally abstract, arbitrary uh, object. It has to be in kind of the same line. You expect it's going to go the same direction as the other thing, but then it goes the other way, and you're like, "Oh, that's ironic," because I thought it was going to go this way, thought it was going to go mm-hmm. left, and it went right. How's that? That was a really, really good definition, actually. Thank you. Good job. Very proud of you. So basically, all the irony is, is the defiance of expectation. It is the friction between expectation and actual outcome. When those don't line up, that is considered ironic. That can sometimes describe coincidences. Coincidences Mm. being what most people label as ironic when they're not. So if you, you know show up to a party and you're wearing the same dress as someone like people like oh that's ironic no it's a coincidence totally fine if the most famous example of course for of irony if the fire station burns down that's ironic that's ironic (laughs) because that would be the one place you would expect not to burn down it is going against the express purpose of the place so It's hard. It is squishy and weird. And what doesn't help the fact is that we're only talking about one facet of irony. So within literary criticism, there are actually three different kinds of irony. Did you know this, my father? No, no, no. I I mean, I mean, no, I did. I was going to lie and say (laughs) yes, but uh, no, I did not know there were any different kinds of irony. Did you? Okay. I'm sure you've heard of at least one of them. Um, Show me. Tell me. <laughs> so the three forms are situational irony, which is the one we've been talking about already. Okay. The the fire station burns to the ground. That's situational irony. It's a situation that's ironic. Pretty straightforward. Then we have my personal favorite, dramatic irony. You like that the best. That's your favorite. I, I love dramatic irony. I think it's a great okay. uh, narrative device. Do you know what that is? Uh, no, if you, okay, I couldn't define we'll get to it. it. It's okay. Okay, and then the last form is verbal irony, which is another one we see all the time. That's just like vocal irony. You're saying one thing, but meaning another. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be sarcasm, but it isn't necessarily sarcasm, which is where a lot of people get tripped up too. It can be lying, but it isn't necessarily lying. So this is where things get kind of muddy and weird and it becomes very contentious for people on Reddit to argue about whether or not something is ironic. <laughs> Thank you, Reddit, for supplying us the avenue of arguing about things that don't matter. <laughs> Always and everything. So let's go through these backwards. So we just talked about verbal irony. Mm-hmm. Saying one thing, meaning another, or intending another, like trying to guide in a different direction. To go back to Shakespeare, a really good example of this is Mark Antony in Julius Caesar. He gives a speech about Brutus, and in it calls him an honorable man, while knowing full in his heart that that is not the case. That is an example. 
he's a liar. See, it is a lie, but it's with a very specific purpose and it goes directly against what is known. So that would be an example of irony. Whereas if I was just sitting here and said that I was wearing a top hat, that wouldn't really be ironic <laughs> because <laughs> no, it has no weight no. to it. There is no um, context for it. So it would just be like, LOL random. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Although... Uh, next time we record, you should wear a top hat just I, to be ironic. I do have a top hat. It is not what? in my closet where I record, but uh, I, I do I do have one. a top hat. It was for a Halloween costume a couple years back. I was a magician. Oh, I thought maybe you were Mr. Peanut. Oh, that would be a great costume, actually. That's that, That'll be this year. It really would. Yeah. Buckle Mr. Peanut with a ch- Mr. Peanut with a nut allergy. <laughs> just a pink <laughs> peanut who's all swollen and gross. I'm allergic to myself. Now that would be ironic. Uh, it would. See, there it is. Is that situational? I think that's situational. That would be situational, yes. Or like, but I also guess kind identity. of dramatic. Yeah. Sure. Dramatic, traumatic, and ironic. Yeah. Now let's go into dramatic irony. So Yay. you do know what dramatic irony is. You've seen it in endless things because sure. it is a favorite of the screenwriter's uh, arsenal. So dramatic mm. irony is dependent largely upon it being a story, a narrative. This isn't something that really happens in real life, in my opinion. Some people say that it can happen within, like, historical, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So dramatic irony is when the audience knows something that the characters do not So if you're watching a movie and you, the audience, are like, oh, Truman is in a simulation and he doesn't know it. He doesn't know he's on a TV show. He eventually figures out. But until he does, there's the tension of dramatic irony because we know something and he does not. Right. Very common storytelling technique because it is normal for the audience to have some sort of omnipotent view that the characters within do not because that would be story breaking and, you know, lead to very boring stories because if everybody knows everything, there's no conflict. So this can be employed in really fun ways. I'm a big fan of horror and this is used to great effect in horror all the time because you know what's coming and the character is just going la-di-da about their day (laughs) and you get to feel the dread for them, Um, which is part of like the catharsis we get in consuming media and consuming stories in general. It's about putting ourselves into the shoes of the character. So it's kind of playing with our sense of belief and knowledge when we know things, but we know the character doesn't, we get to empathize, but also kind of have a leg up. So it's a very interesting mechanic of how storytelling works. And I just love seeing the different ways that it affects uh, narratives. Yeah. And it gives you a sense of power. And I think it, I think most people, you know, of course, kind of role play and they, they position themselves as a character in whatever they're reading or watching. And they're like, oh, I'm kind of connecting with this person. And what would I do if I was in that mm-hmm. situation? Uh, I think generally it's the protagonist you do that with, but not always, I don't think. No, some protagonists are awful. Looking at you, Great Gatsby. <laughs> I know he's not the protagonist, it's Nick, but he also sucks. I hate everyone in that book. Anyway, I have strong Never. feelings about 20s literature. <laughs> I, I never read the book. Uh, really? I, yeah, Fitzgerald, right? He wrote that, yeah. I believe. And you I never saw it. the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Thank you for the meme of holding a champagne glass up towards mm-hmm. the camera. Where would we be without that? Who knew that F. Scott Fitzgerald <laughs> would give birth to something that he's now seen millions of times? I, I don't think he knew necessarily. I mean, he was a famous author in his day. He was very well known. But I don't think he would expect to have the staying power that 
no eventually who, who would yeah the arrogance you know i mean who would ever expect that your work of something you've created it'd be like someone listening to this podcast think about this a second milo mm-hmm. someone could be listening to this podcast in a hundred years they could be like oh here's an example of the night of you know 2022 here's a podcast <laughs> we found listen to these two people and so if you're listening a hundred years from now we're we're probably dead yeah i mean i i would hope you're so listening. Uh, well, apologies the, to you and your dreams of immortality, but I've always seen that as a curse, and I do not want to live yeah. that long. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be anything we need to worry about. So, sorry, we kind of drifted off again. No, it's okay. And I can segue that because we can think about F. Scott Fitzgerald not knowing that he was going to be famous. And some people would say that that's a form of historical dramatic irony is people not knowing how history is going to turn out, and we, in retrospect, do. Mm. No. <laughs> In my opinion, no. <laughs> I don't like that. No. It's not we are not an audience to the past. We are participants in the ongoing story that is history so i don't My goodness wow <laughs> we are not an audience to the past what podcast have we wandered into here this is this is we where i get very uh, existential past. i guess uh oh. that was not pre-prepared y'all i did not intend to talk about the, these theories of historical dramatic irony but it is a concept that has always <laughs> irked me yeah well it's 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 definitely an interesting concept anyway to bring it back down to languages <laughs> and away from the existential crises that plague us all uh-huh. uh continue sure i may make just a second more of existentialism let's talk a little oh, no, bit it, about you, cosmic irony and i know you're the, in charge. the term cosmic is a little scary because you start thinking of you know the big grand stuff cosmic irony is this concept that is another one that is kind of touch and go some people accept it as a form and some people don't. So this is where kind of a general expectation that we place upon culture of how things should be when that is thwarted, that could be a form of irony according to some people. So to go back to Alanis Morissette, rain on your wedding day, that is not irony in the traditional sense. But because we have a cultural expectation around weddings being on lovely, beautiful days, there is kind of, while there is inherently a reality where that would make that be the case, in which case it would be ironic, like if we could control the weather and like decide ahead of time that that's how the weather would be for all wedding days, then sure, could be ironic. But since that's not the way the world works, it's not, unless you believe in cosmic irony, which is our will being put out into the world, if that is thwarted, then that would be cosmic irony. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did not, I did not different know kinds. That. So that those two, the historical and the cosmic, those are both uh, not literary mechanisms. The three that I mentioned, verbal, dramatic, and situational, those are the three we talk about in like screenwriting class. Gotcha. You've been to screenwriting class? No, but I've been in a lot of writing. I don't know why I said screenwriting. We're talking about movies. <laughs> I've been in a lot, a like... lot, a lot of writing classes. I have not been to one specifically for screenwriting, but I just like that you mentioned it, and then you're like, "Have you been in one?" You're like, "No." I'm like, okay, well, you'd know more than I do anyway. So I don't know why you know I said people who have been in them. I've done some yeah, screenwriting. Right. I have not been formally educated in it. It's fine. No, yeah. okay. Last form of irony: situational. We already talked about, you know broad strokes of what that means in terms of real life, firehouse burning down. But just to bring it to a literary example, uh, to round out our literary examples, uh, best example, always incredible story, Gift of the Magi. 
mm. by O. Henry. Do you know it? No, I've heard really? of it. Okay. This I, is one yeah, I, I know I read in multiple classes in grade school um, and hear it referenced fairly often now, but I have found that it is less common than I often think it is. Um, okay. So let's a little story time. Ready? Yeah. Wonderful. Bring it. So there is this young couple. They're newly married. They're very in love, but they're also unfortunately pretty poor. They don't have a lot of money, but they love each other so much and Christmas is coming up. Uh, so Jim, the husband, is like, ah, oh, dang, I really, really want to get Della, my wife, a really nice gift because I love her so much and her happiness means the world to me. So what I'm going to do, even though I don't have much money, I'm going to take my father's prized watch and I'm going to sell it um, so that I can get her this really nice hairbrush uh, so that she can, you know, be happy and we can share our love. So he goes and does it. He sells off his watch and gets this hairbrush so he can give it to her for Christmas. Della's thinking the same thing. She's like, oh my gosh, I love Jim so much, but I don't have any money. What am I going to do? Uh, I really want to get him this really nice watch chain for Christmas. I know what I'll do. I'll go cut off all my hair and sell it to a wig maker. So she goes off, sells her all her hair, and then buys that watch chain. Christmas Day comes. They exchange their presents. Oh no, how ironic. <laughs> It was a gift of love that came out of the right place, but unfortunately for Jim and Della, they are uh, out of luck because both of their gifts are now useless by the act of getting each other the gift. Lovely, beautiful irony. Thank you, O. Henry. Well, Henry's a jerk. <laughs> no, even better. I... Ready for this? The last paragraph yeah. of that story is so mean. He was like, to like double down on the irony, he does this whole paragraph of like, oh, aren't they so wise? They are the magi because they are so good at gift giving. Aren't they so wise? They are the wisest of us all. Oh, uh, so, no. yeah, he's kind of a dick. Well, Henry, <laughs> you pompous prick. I mean, what the heck? I mean, I did know that story. Now that you say it, I mm -hmm. know that story. You started going into it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. This is the one person. They sacrificed their most precious thing to buy gifts. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's yep, I know. I a didn't tale know as old that. as time, or at least as old as 1905. The same thing, yeah. <laughs> it's when time began. <laughs> as far as we're concerned. Absolutely. As far as, as yeah, absolutely. So to that's a little uh, crash course in irony. I just wanted to go over it because we talk about linguistics a lot, and that is a big sticking point for a lot of people within linguistics, a position for a lot of like argument over whether or not things are ironic. So y'all can bring that information forth into your arguments and throw in the extra little facts about, you know, when you're doing talking about movies with your friends, you can be like, that was dramatic irony and feel all fancy and stuff. But also, please yeah. don't be a pedantic jerk and like yell at people about whether or not things are ironic it doesn't matter yeah but also now you it, can it, win it <laughs> it doesn't matter but here's how to win the argument that doesn't matter and you can sound bougie at the same time exactly. as you do it and then if you do pass gas you could go oh was that a petard was that a petard was that a bucket oh, full a, of gunpowder was that a, well sometimes it is it, it is oh, comparable no. you need to check your diet uh, bud yeah, you you may have some dietary issues as we uh, we started the episode that way. We're ending the episode with dietary issues. Not quite. We got a little bit and... more to go, but oh, oh I'm so sorry. Oh, no, I didn't it's mean okay. to end it prematurely. I... Prematurely. This is something that I wanted to talk about before in a previous episode and didn't get to, so I'm shoehorning it in right now. But I'm sure it'll come back later too, because this is something you okay. and I have talked about, and I finally found a phrase that works for it. Ah! 
I'm so excited. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm very Good. excited about words that describe other words, everybody. It's my favorite thing. So I was thinking about the word petard again. Yeah. Great word. Means fart. Means bombs. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it had me thinking how often with idioms we come across these words that are not used in any other contexts. Like, yes. in the English language, we do not say petard. <laughs> At least I don't. No, I don't I, know if any of no, y'all I, have that in your day-to-day. Maybe some places in the world still use those kinds of bombs and will use that word. I don't know. It didn't seem like it. Based on my research, they seem kind of archaic. Again, they're a bucket. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, petard. We don't use that in literally any other context. And we've had all sorts of ones like that. If you look at common phrases where else are you going to hear the word gnashing other than yeah weeping and gnashing of teeth yep where else are you going to hear the word spick other than spick and span perfect and how about champing champing at the bit i've got one for you i've got one for you that just came to my mind i forgot to wish you a happy birthday on your birthday so now i'm going to wish you a belated there you go. When I, I mean, you could use it in other ways, but no one does. But no one does. Yep. It is a very, very specific word. And it turns out there's a word for that. Ah! Tell me. Tell me. Fossil words. Fossil words? Fossil. So like a like a dinosaur oh, fossil. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the concept being that these are words that were used back in the day more commonly, but their common use has completely worn out except for in this very, very specific circumstance. So it's fossilized in that amber of an idiom and is still with us despite not having any meaning of its own. That's so cool. I love that. (laughs) Um, And relatedly, there is a, or just related, oh, redundant. Uh, There is an offshoot of that um, of born fossils. So like born fossil words. So these are words that, um, were, you know, somehow formed either by stealing from other languages or from, uh, just mashing words together, play words, that kind of thing, uh, that never had common parlance outside of a phrase. So to go back Mm, into a previous one we've talked about, kit and caboodle. Caboodle isn't a real word, but it is a word within that context. Um, but it and never only. was a word. Nobody just said caboodle in other contexts. Whereas really gnashing should, used to be a word that was used other places. Yeah. Um, yep. Fossil word, born fossils. Um, relatedly, there's also something called a cranberry morphine. We're not going to go into that right now, but we'll probably pick that up later. So a what? <laughs> cranberry morphine. Have you heard of that? What did you say? Okay, we're going into no. it now because it's too exciting. Cran- cranberry Cranberry morphine? Morpheme. Do you know what a morpheme is? No. It's like a, a prefix or a suffix. It's just a single slice of a word. Okay. So a lot of words in English you can break apart into constituent parts, and each of them have meaning but aren't words in and of themselves. They are just little pieces that have meaning. Uh, however, in words like cranberry, we know what a berry is. Yes. What the heck is a cran? Don't not a crayon, <laughs> but a crayon. Yeah, I got a box of crayons. <laughs> Which in certain U.S. Uh, dialects, you do say crayon instead of crayon. Yeah. Uh, I believe I kind of say that. I think it is a Midwest thing. Yeah. But no, so crayon as a prefix does not have an inherent meaning. It is not attachable to any other word. It is only useful in that 
very specific context. Uh, so similar with mulberry. Mole isn't used in any other way as a prefix. Right. Like it is a word separately that evolved differently, M-U-L-L, but M-U-L for the tree or the berry, that is it. So it's so interesting <laughs> how just certain things can happen. And fascinating. Love it. Yeah. Words are so interesting. I want to know more about how these things form. It's just, it's delightful. It makes me happy. Cool. So there you go. Uh, there is a kind of scattershot approach to not only hoisted by own petard, uh, which I don't know why it's always he. I feel like whenever anybody says the phrase hoisted by his own but hard, but gendered. Come on, guys. Uh, as I say, guys, a gendered pronoun. <laughs> yep. uh, but anywho, that is all I have for today. What did you learn today, my father? Well, I learned about irony. Uh, and the I would say the little the little tidbit that amused me was the, uh, the uh, encounter with Alanis Morissette that the that the person had, and um, and she was like, "No, I know it wasn't ironic, which is what makes it ironic, guys." I threw that in there. You see what I did there? I, I sure did. Pretty good, huh? Tied it all together with a big red bow. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there. No, I. That, what about you? What? And I, I think I already know because you got the the cranberry morpheme or morpheum or more whatever. Petard means toot. Petard means toot. <laughs> I already knew about cranberry morphemes. Oh. We talked about them in linguistics class in college. Okay. So I knew about that. Still love it. Still was delighted to come across it again. Was delighted by fossil words. That was one that I had not heard of. Was very excited about it. Um, but. Petard meaning toot. Come on, y'all. Yeah. That's amazing. You can hoist... A phrase we use all the time secretly is about toots, and it's from Shakespeare. Beautiful. Just a double win. And you got to tell, you know, you got to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Carol about the fossil words because she's a linguist at heart and, um, and, and see about petards. I wonder if she knows about that. She, she very well does probably know, but she knows. I'm sure she does. She knows all kinds of things uh, I don't. As, as a French teacher, I will say in every semester of French I ever took in high school and college, somebody asked the teacher how to say fart. Uh, so it comes up. Oh, of course. So then she, yeah, she knows. Of course she knows. She knows. Silly. She knows. And then you're going you're gonna to go over fart. You're going to go over baiser. You're going to go over all the, you know. The things. The, the dirty words. Yeah, because that's, that's a magnet. Yep, it's true. Anywho, yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, hope you learned something. If you did, or even if you didn't, and you just had a good time, please leave us a review on your listening platform of choice yes. or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a review on Facebook and keep updated about our schedule and our weird little bits of content we find on the internet for these episodes. You can find that all on the Watch Your Mouth podcast Facebook group. Join us there. Thank you to Tony Gebhardt for our theme song. You can find him on Spotify. Yes, and thank you to Silly Linguistics for uh, also putting our show out on YouTube, uh, which we now have a good five episodes out there. And guys, do you guys listening um, uh, this way, the traditional way, shall we say, the people on YouTube are starting to beat you. We're getting more listens on YouTube now than we are uh, through Anchor. <laughs> So, but hey, wherever they, true. wherever they, wherever they come along, we're happy. We're thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you for following the Pied Piper music of our podcast and linguistic facts. Where are we leading? Promise not to drown you in the river. I was going to say, where are we leading them? Towards linguistic (laughs) truth. To knowledge. Yes, Linguistic truth is what we're about there, Marlo. And fart jokes. Well, they go hand in hand. (laughs) They sure do. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We will see you next time. In the meantime, I'm Milo. And I'm still Dave. Stay curious and carry a hatchet. Welcome to the Watch Your Mouth Podcast, a podcast about phrase etymology and why we say the things we say. I'm Milo. And I'm Dave. <laughs> I almost what? said stay curious and carry a hatchet. What am I doing? What? It's been a while. Okay, start over. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. It was just, that was the shortest episode ever. <laughs>